Darkness. Absolute. Immeasurable. Inconceivable. And yet, yonder, upon the horizon, it meets a black earth. There is the rising sound of a horn through the darkness, like a synth wave. It shudders and groans through the darkness. The blooming orchestral sound of doom. Lo and behold, a light into the darkness. Where black horizon and black sky meet, a rider comes. We follow alongside as the warrior rides forth, bent low. His black cloak billows. Out far beyond him, disappearing into its surroundings. The rider sits aloft a horse, its body an illuminescent translucent form. Within it, the bones grow brightly. Twisted horns break through the clear flesh and stand tall at either side of the rider. In the rider's right hand, a long piece of thick bamboo. It reaches forth ahead as they gallop. At its end, a lantern with a glowing flame of white. It illuminates this small area of darkness that the rider gallops through. At the horse's feet, small clouds of dust are kicked up as its cloved hoofs meet ground. As it leaves the light, it is gone, never to be seen again. Through the unbreakable blackness, a building is revealed in this forgotten wasteland. A tavern. The sign hangs from one chain. It sits motionless, as there is no wind to carry it. The tavern is named World's End. The rider dismounts, seeing no purpose to tie the horse, as there's no one to steal it. He takes the lantern and enters. The door makes no sound. Neither do his footsteps as he walks into the tavern. The light illuminates parts of this room at a time. Overturned tables, the dead fireplace, boots left in the entrance. A thick layer of dust sits upon it all. The man in the cloak makes his way to a stool at the front of the tavern, before the main bench, in front of empty shelves. The chair does not creak. You look to the register, left unopened and unlooted. You brush the layer of dust off the front table before you. The room is silent. The light, unflickering, casts a smaller area about you in a pale silver light. All the rest of the tavern outside of these few meters is a mystery. Then there is a sound. The first sound in a long age. Tink, tink, tink as three coins are dropped onto the bench. Travelling light, nomad. Let me buy you a drink. A solitary glass of whiskey sits before you, an ice cube drifting in slow circles. Beside you sits a figure in a scarlet red poncho, and a hood covers his face. You slowly lower your own, revealing Hickory Cavendish. Tell me, Nomad, 
Are you seeking paradise? Like all the rest? I guess you can say in a, in a form of speaking, aren't we all? Well, many have fled sorrow to come to paradise. But many have been disappointed when faced with the cost. Fair enough. You should fear paradise, Nomad. It is the final frontier for a reason. None come back. Maybe if some could, if they could tell stories, maybe we wouldn't call it paradise anymore. Maybe we'd just call it the pit. But please, have another drink. The glass refills before you. I always say, why not give your soul to something you can see? Something you can grasp? Why give it to a place like that? We'll be a little more than shadows. At least here. He tips his head to the lantern. We walk in the light. He rises from the chair and makes his way to the door. Remember, Nomad. Death is a mystery. Something to fear. But so is paradise. Fear it. You shall do well. So in the meantime, please, have another drink. He turns and walks out of the light, and is seen no more. What is Cavendish thinking? Uh, currently, he's trying to wrap his head around what the big guy is saying, um, taking another, I assume it's refilled again. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks at it long and hard, downs it, and then just sits there pondering what his path and where he's wanting it to go, and even though he's got things set out in his mind, how that will end up probably not happening the way he wants it to. Um, Hmm. Yes. We pull back. As the glass refills again and again and again. Till it spills over your hand, down over the table and onto the ground. Where the thirsty dust devours it. And slowly the lantern's light begins to fade. Olivia, you tighten a strap over your shoulder, part of the brace that keeps your scabbard at your uh, lower back, where um, where you prefer to have it, as it's a good reaching area. You throw your jacket on and make your way to the door. You are heavily bruised around your calves, as last night's hunt was rather intense. You found yourself suspended upside down in a trap of some sort of living vines uh, that was throwing you this way and that as your group was trying to work out how exactly to kill something that kept regrowing back. Uh, it was a long night and involved a lot of whoop, whoop, whoop. Uh, and you are now back. You've had a rest, but your legs are really killing you. Um, yeah, so you make your way to the uh, door. You're thinking about the past missions. It's been a few... You've done now a few missions with uh, the professor. Uh, he's given you several jobs. You're making very good money, which makes nights like last night 
rather easier to handle. You have um, Olivia, um, Amelia's uh, surgery booked in for in two days, uh, which is coming up very soon. Uh, you had a spot of legal issues uh, after the whole events with the poltergeist over land damages and all that, but Hugo has been very helpful with dealing with those situations as that is partially some of his training. Uh, yeah. You go to the door and you're reaching out for the handle and you're feeling a kind of a lack of a presence and you turn back to see where Vesper is and you see he is still sitting in his armchair which he usually keeps by your bed but has recently taken to move it towards the window and he's still sitting in the chair. <clears throat> Are you alright? You slowly walk up to the chair and you place your hand on the back of it to see him. A small amount of white fog is blooming off him, which is typical, but unlike how it usually kind of hangs all about, it is sinking to the floor. Like if you've ever seen dry ice, when the gas is from there, how it just sinks and lays on the floor, it's doing a similar thing with him. He sits, gazing off into the distance. His wounds from the poltergeist attack have not healed at all. He is bruised, his suit is a little dishevelled, dark circles sit around his eyes. He looks thin, the suit hangs off him. His cheeks are hollow and his hair is oily. You've noticed the slow changes in him since the poltergeist hunt a few weeks ago, but in the morning light, looking directly at him, it kind of shocks you a little bit. He rarely leaves his physical form anymore if he can help it. Even in battle, he tries to stay physical as much as he can. He looks old. He looks like Weaver. Is there anything I can do? <clears throat> He's like startled a little bit and he breaks away from looking at the into the distance uh, is a view out to a kind of backyard area of London as this is the location that you guys have been staying in mostly hmm? uh, he checks his watch morning practice soon great I love morning practice <laughs> he rubs his like the side of his brows I can't wait to be yelled at by a schoolboy for hours Okay, but in the meantime, should we get you something to eat? <laughs> yes, that sounds good. He rises slowly to his feet, and the, the smoke is still kind of landing on the floor. She places a hand on his back, patting him. Come on, bacon and eggs? You make for the door again, but turn back and he's still standing there. And he says, Olivia, when this is all over, whatever next time we do, maybe it's about time we had a little talk. I'm feeling thin. I'm feeling scared.
lantern held aloft, we follow Ward as he descends an ancient flight of steps. Rats scurry forth as he comes to a door. A metal cell door. You open it. The sound of wrenching metal fills the air as rust falls on your shoulders. You step out onto a small platform and come upon a great endless pit, disappearing into the beyond. From this small platform, stone stairs twist their way down into the pit. Along the walls, graves are placed, their names and ages long since decayed away. The occasional praying angel sits aloft the stones. They too are moss-covered and decayed. One before you has a missing wing, across her eyes a bloody bandage. Her face a twisted scream of anger and pain. Ward, you descend into the pit. More of these gruesome statues appear out of the gloom. Occasionally, you see a hanging cage in the centre of the pit. Men and women lay in these. Thin, quivering and pale. Their eyes sealed shut from fear of the light. Their teeth chatter and they do not respond to your calls. As you go deeper, you see more and more of these cages. Occasionally, you see creatures making their way up the steps. They are small, squat creatures with thin, oily hair that drags upon the ground. Their skin is silvery and shimmering. They are dark, dirty creatures. They reach out with iron rods and poke at the caged people who have long since given up howling in pain. They soon grow bored and continue up, or sometimes deeper searching for someone to torment who will shriek a little louder. One crosses and sees you and makes to walk around you, still holding its stick. Good evening. Uh, I am the ward of the field. It continues up a few steps and violently jabs out the stick at one of the people in the cages who just groans and tries to roll away. Do you enjoy what you do here? Very much so. Ah. Do you have a name? Carvin. Ah. That's a on-the-nose name, I think. He bows to you and leans up. Are you a lord of these lands? Well, I, I very well could be. Do you bring more for the pit? Ah, uh, no, I appear to have nothing with me. <sighs> Do you intend to take one of our little preciouses? One of ours? Well, if, uh... They are a part of my field, then uh, they were never yours to begin with. Oh no. They're ours to do with as we please. If you knew the things they have done, you would enjoy yourself as much as we do. There can only be pleasure if there is pain. He jabs once again at one of them. Huh. Well, these folk don't seem to be in pleasure or pain 
I know that's why we must need new ones. Ah. Well, it was... Well, I don't know if it was nice meeting you, Carvin, but it was definitely interesting at the very least. But I think I'm heading further down. Down. Good. He makes his way up the steps. As you go deeper, a voice comes. Maybe from behind, maybe from beyond. Tell me, Wanderer, what is this place? Can you see where the voice is coming from? You cannot. Well, to be honest, disembodied voice that I can't seem to pinpoint, uh, I would say this place is a pit. Tell me, Wanderer. Does it make you strong to stand against something wicked? I think it doesn't change much regardless of if you face something stronger or weaker you are still whatever your capabilities are so no Mr. Nobody Voice I don't think it does Tell me, Wanderer, if the lands did flood, would it be foolish for a man to leave his home, leave his family, and dig channels by hand, passing by his own door countless times, but never going in to rid his lands of water? I think you're losing me a bit on that one. Um... I guess you could use, he could use a shovel, but I'm not sure what you're asking me here, Mr. Voice. Tell me, Wanderer, would you name him king? Or fool? I would ra uh, I would wager whether or not those two can't be the same. You come now to the deepest part of this pit, the gruesome stone room, halfway between a laboratory and a torture chamber. Pieces of equipment lay in piles, filthy and overflowing. Wooden tables stained with blood, corpses in metal cages. Tell me, Wanderer, can you be brave if you've never felt fear? Can you be truly honest if you've never known the urge to lie? Can you be strong if you've never known weakness? Can you bleed for others if no one would bleed for you? You can do whatever you damn believe. One does not have to feel fear to be brave. One does not have to be human to be the hero. One can be the hero if they truly believe they are. That's where we differ, Ward. Belief has nothing. 
ward you see a man standing at the far end of the room by a small wooden door. The door is engraved with hundreds of runes and held by great chains. You see the man is wearing scarlet red poncho and hood. You cannot see his face. Truly I tell you, Wanderer, fear has its place. Bravery too. Power. Weakness. Vision. And blindness. Both are fought for. Both are bled for. They are what it means to be alive. But you, you know neither deserve neither. But you see him slowly reach up. In one of his hands, you hear the flapping of wings as he is holding Mugen in one of his hands. It can be taught. I can make it real. I can make you true. He gently strokes the bird with his free hand, quieting it, before grabbing it with both hands and twisting There is a wrenching sound as he breaks the bird in two and drops the pieces to the floor. Why would you ever do something like that? Because you're not real, Ward. I'm as real as I want to be. Exactly. But here, he gestures to the door. Here is everything. Here is nothing. The truth to your lie. You only reach out and open it. He kind of just looks down at where the two parts of Mugen lie and looks back up at the man. He is gone. Say, Mr. Voice, do you know my doctor? Olivia, you're making your way down the main stairs of the house with Vesper, slowly making his way behind you when you emerge into the kitchen and are shocked to find... Professor Astrophil sitting at the kitchen table, having a cup of tea and talking with... <whistles> Will I name your character? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> Not Ebenezer, the other one. Hugo. Hugo, that's it. Um, he's sitting at the kitchen table having a cup of tea with Hugo. Uh, they're chatting uh, quite amicably. Uh, and uh, he turns and smiles at you and then a shocked expression comes over his face as he sees Vesper making his way down behind you and Vesper looks at him and there is a moment as uh, Professor Aristotle starts to rise and his bodyguard moves in front of him and there is just a brief just like meh uh, uh, he's right. harmless Calm he's down. harmless it's alright ah. doesn't matter you haven't seen a ghost before my my 
Olivia's arm is like in front of Vesper, kind of wrapping around yeah. him, pushing him he's behind harmless. her. Actually, he's formless. Well, kind of. It's kind of sort of formless. I can't believe it. A persona. Yes. What my of goodness! It? I never thought I'd see one in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. He makes his way over. He put like kind of pushes his bodyguard out of the way, and he holds his hand out uh, to Vesper, who gingerly shakes his hand. Incredible. Oh, this will do well. What? I didn't realize you had the persona, my dear. I was about to give you a job to go and clear out a mimic from a high school gymnasium, but if I'd known you had this type of firepower, well, I would have given you a lot of different jobs. Uh. He shuffles through some papers and pulls one out. I thought I told you. No, no one told me about... Oh. We'll talk about this, Hugo. Right, well, you know now, I suppose, so... Yeah, right. (laughs) He shuffles through some papers and pulls one. If you've got that type of firepower, then here. He hands you a piece of paper. Right, hold on. What... Just what do you have in mind? There is an artifact. It may be a piece of jewellery... Maybe a piece of armor. We you don't know. We aren't fully sure. It is said to have belonged to a very ancient race. Pre-man. Angelic, almost, is the consensus. A team of historians have been tracking its appearances through some ancient poetry. It disappears around the 11th century. We believe we have triangulated the last location based on the folklore held very strongly by the Native Americans in that region. It's all listed here. Due to its mysterious nature, I only wanted to send the most heavily equipped tier special forces, if anything. But if you have a persona, this might be right up your alley. This might be the exact type of team. Considering how busy all tier special operatives have been doing training, I haven't been able to work out one of those for a while. Olivia, Vesper, would you mind giving us a moment? Absolutely not. Go for it. Um, We'll be in the, the, the living room. The living room and the kitchen are one same thing. So they just go over to like the couches okay. in one far corner of the room. <laughs> like turn and face the, the wall. <laughs> Block your ears. Where can we go? You can head to training early. Oh, or not. back to your room. Professor. Yes. I'm not trying to discount the skills of this team. They're a fantastic team and they've done admittedly they've exceeded my expectations in the first few weeks but just because you find out that Miss Kelly has a persona and I thought you already knew that so I don't know I suppose that's my bad I thought I passed that on you can't just give them the most dangerous assignment that you have on file just because you you think that they might be able to deal with it based on something that's not even related to the team that just happens to be dwelling inside one of the members now, I don't know anything about what that, that piece of paper you got there is, but I'm just saying, they might be good. Doesn't mean they're not amateurs. He smiles and pats you on the shoulder. My boy, this is not the most dangerous mission I have. And he, like, flicks the run. There have been shimmers happening in the the deepest part of the ocean near Norway. There have been and, what? Yes. And no one told me? No. Sorry, I, I'll i see myself out. No, no. You, and he's, like, paying up. The fact of the matter is, Hugo, if I could have Tyr, I would pick Tyr. And this is not the most dangerous. The fact is, it is a mysterious situation. No, that's the problem. That's what makes it dangerous. Tyr has files on these kinds of things. Tyr has people, researchers, who do this kind of work. Yes, and their researchers have led up to nothing. 
have some faith in your team. Patrick Shaw. They're being trained by the Morning Star. That's as good as being trained by Warwick and Emily themselves. I know, but maybe if the Morning Star was on the team, maybe I wouldn't be so worried. Yes, well, I'm not making the choices. Vesper? Vesper's not who he used to be, and Olivia, skilled as she is, she's not a professional. That's not what I see. This team has gotten better and better with every mission I've given them. There's less lawsuits each time, too. That is true. I will hand that to them. They're getting better. Their last mission, they've they've just officially got off with a warning, which is that's good. Only trespassing. That's I better hear. than tear. That is better than tear. All right. I just I, it's my job, you know. And you're doing it well. He pats you on the shoulder. But have some faith. If they die, I'm going to be so annoyed. I'm sure they would be too. No, they won't. <laughs> Olivia's like, did someone say something oh, about Oh, Olivia, dying? you're back. Sorry, I didn't notice. The professor is crossing. Please, come in now that yeah. you're already here. Professor is crossing to the door of his uh, bodyguard and says, it's also worth ten times the bounty, so... That means ten times the risk. Not yep. necessarily. Yep, uh, it does. Could be more, could be less. It does. Oh, it's more. It's definitely more risk. Are we doing it? Can I consult my team first? You turn to Vesper. Vesper's like... Yeah, I can do it. <laughs> she looks at Vesper, dishevelled, oily hair, looking gaunt. She's like, really? Yes. Really, Vesper? Yes, I can. Oh, my... You have no sense of self-preservation. The answer is yes, he turns to <laughs> Professor. We can do it. He gives a thumbs up. Uh... He says, good man. Very good. All right. Miss Kelly, do you want to you know, ask the rest of your team that's not yes. just you and your other half? I, I just have to find them. I think P- one of them is in training. Professor, just give us five minutes, all right? He's like, fine, fine, go on. You gonna go find the rest of your team? Yes. All right. Who else? Who do you come upon first? Um, Olivia is probably going to stumble across Hope first because she'd probably keep an eye on where she is in the house. Okay. You hear the thunderous footsteps of Hope coming up from a very bad session of training. (laughs) That man. I'm gonna kill him. Hi. Hi, Hi, sweetheart. Um, are you okay? Yes. I've said a hundred times, but he doesn't listen. Okay, what is he not listening to? Doesn't matter. She hit eight out of 20 shots. (laughs) That's improvement in my books. Don't start with me. (laughs) All right, fine. Look, honey, we've been offered a job Mm -hmm. that carries potentially ten times, maybe more, of the risk that we have been facing up until now it does pay 10 times more as well okay vespa is 100 percent set on doing this i and she just gestures towards vespa next to her and she's like i do not think he is up to it that's why we're a team we all pick up for each other's failings (sighs) vespa you're the strongest of us Thank you for saying so. He flexes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you can't uh, tell. He just makes the motion of flexing, but nothing <laughs> happens. His jacket just, yeah. Wrinkles a bit. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, if in its assignment we've been given, then I say, let, let's do it. We haven't turned down any mission we've been given so far. I don't see the difference. It's a mission's a mission. A mission is a mission, but sometimes a mission can mean death. 
and I'm not willing to risk that with this team. You are my family, after all. Thump, 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 as AK makes her way down the stairs and just passes by. Every mission entails death. That's what, that's the career. <laughs> Aunt Millie ain't wrong. Stairs, AK. And you see that she's already going for the alcohol cabinet downstairs. AK! <laughs> you're not even... Well, I'm not, I'm not saying example. You're saying example. Goodbye. She makes you're her way not deeper. even in the team that's on the field. <laughs> she's gone. No, I'm... I'm down. We're a weird bunch. Um, and you know what? I haven't been hit in the last two missions, so I'm feeling good. Olivia, your calves like burn a little extra yeah. hearing this. That she got out of the last mission entirely unscathed. She I just, just stand flinches the a little. There's just a little twitch yeah. to her eyes. She's like, <laughs> what? You wanted me in the back? I'm in the back. Sorry no one hits the back. Mm, they hit the back of my calves. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have to consult with Hickory. Olivia bringing and the sass this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I have to consult with Hickory and Ebenezer as well. They are part of this team after all. Yep. Ebenezer is in the backyard. Uh, he is uh, foraging for different things. And Hickory, Hickory and Ward are both downstairs in the training room. Ward is on the running machine. Heath is getting him to run faster and faster speeds using like the jo- his new joints and get him to practice with that more. And Hickory is uh, like aiming with his kasuragama to like either side of wards about how close he can get without actually hitting. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Um, considering that there is training happening, Olivia's just going to go out into the backyard to Ebenezer. Yeah, She's just, like, I don't want to get in the middle of this. Here, he's clapping. Up, 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 you, up, You see the running isn't like the normal like bending knees running yet. He's still used to like the the straight legs, yeah. so they're completely like he's not straight. Not, he's not he using his like new joints yet. It's like uh, you know the little birds that wade through the water. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're little like <laughs> kind of like Mr. Krabs as he like scuttles along, bending at the pipers. feet, not the knees. Yeah, bending at the feet. <laughs> a lot of ankle flexion going on. Okay. We've, we've added a new joint where where the foot is, and he's just using that. Okay, so you make your way out into the backyard garden. So we haven't seen this really before. Mm. So there is a stone bench, a stone table with stone chairs around it. The grass is a little longer than like most London backyards where they keep it super short. It's a little bit thicker. Uh, there are multiple. There's uh, garden beds that stretch all around it. There is ivy that's grown up over the the wooden. Uh, a lot of pots. Uh, fences that divide it from the next uh, neighboring. Um, townhouses but there is a large oak tree in the very back of it that stretches out and covers most of the house and the kind of neighboring houses it's one of the last trees left in this area mm. yeah and uh where is ebenezer ebenezer is squatting next to uh, a couple of like small terracotta pots just kind of busying himself with his back to you good morning ebenezer i've got it okay yes what Wait. do you have I think I've got it. What do you have? Hold that thought. No, not holding he looks thoughts. At, he looks at a leaf in his hand and his notebook. I don't have it. Okay. And then he just turns away and keeps scribbling. Ebenezer, I have a question. Hmm? Uh, we've been assigned a mission oh, that is great. potentially ten or more times as dangerous as any of our others. It does pay ten times more. Um, Vesper is adamant about going. 
Hope has said yes. AK thinks that every mission carries risk, so we should do this one. But please, please, as the herbologist in this group, have a look at Vesper and tell me that it is the right decision to not do this. She's just looking for someone who agrees with her. He's kind of just standing there, like, covered in dirt, holding this thing, like, being assaulted with this affront of information. He's like, right! Look at him! He's gaunt! Looking at him! This is me looking at him. He doesn't look he well. He sure looks like Vesper to me. Uh, all right. Well, I'll tell you what I think. Uh, I think you haven't actually told me any useful information. <laughs> That's what I think. All right, Ebenezer. Useful information. The mission is essentially to go find an, an art artifact um, that has been lost since the 11th century. Uh, probably from an ancient race, angelic, perhaps, um, and the Native Americans apparently have information on it. Uh, that is about as much information as we have, and Hugo seems to think that it is a mission too dangerous for us. Hugo, the person who deals with assessing so whether what, people should what go on missions. what particular area are we going in, in North America? What kind of plants are they going to be around? What kind of folk stories are there around these kind of things? Are there any other folk stories or background around the item? Do we know what kind of item it is? Do we know where we might find it? Do we know do we have to go underground? Do we have to stay? There's a lot more information I need to know before I can just tell you yes, I'm okay with the mission or not. Do you want to go ask Professor Astroffel? Because he's got all that information for you. You mean you didn't ask it yourself? He wanted to know if we're going to do the mission. I am checking with the team whether they're keen on it or not. He wanted to know if you do the mission before he told you what the mission was. This is his typical thing. He just gives you a folder, asks if you're going to do it, and then expects you to I'm read up on it later. Ebenezer has gotten more and more frustrated with that. Yes. <laughs> like every you've worked time with this man happened. for a long time, yeah. and you've gotten very tired of this. Sometimes it's just a crown scribble of a goblin says, kill it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia just looks at Ebenezer, and she's like, you've worked with him for a very long time. You know how he is. Yes. Frustrates me to no end. Sorry, I, I'm not trying to be rude to you. I'm just saying everything we do is dangerous. Yes, of course, I know that. I, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have signed on to join, join the team if I hadn't been okay with that. I just think um, it's hard for us to know exactly what we're going into all the time, and I get that. But the professor, uh, uh, <laughs> he's very good at sitting behind a desk. But he doesn't necessarily do a good job of planning ahead and giving us useful information that we actually need. Now, that's not his fault because he's not a field operative, so it makes sense. But I'm just saying, the next time he asks you about something like this, get a few more details before you go ask the rest of the team. Because if the rest of the team have already said yes, they don't even know what we're facing. Most of them don't care about what we're facing, Ebenezer. You're the only one who yes, does. Yes, that's because it's my job to keep you all alive. And they don't exactly. have to worry about that. Exactly. Now look at Vesper and tell me he's not going to die. I don't care about Vesper. Oh! No, not like that. I just mean he's, he can take care of himself. My job is to keep you lot alive. And I can't do that unless I know what I'm facing. So I'm going to go in and talk to the professor. And Thank then you. you can go and talk to the others. And Okay, bye. Okay. Thank you, Ebenezer. Actually, can you hold this? Yeah, what? Just in the light like that. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Keep it out of the shadows. Okay. No, uh, rotate a little bit. So you want the front facing the... Ebenezer, Good. I'm Don't not move. staying in the garden. Don't move. <laughs> Olivia just stands there with Vesper. She's like, now what? Yeah. Um, Ebenezer comes back about 10 minutes later with the, the dumbest grin on his face. 
like this is the best mission we could possibly go on. <laughs> so he's, he's yeah, he's like, right. Well, when do we start? Oh, for heaven's sake! <laughs> <sighs> well, if if you'd sorry, I'm not I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the professor. I'm not mad at the professor. I just wish he would give me a. L- if he had have to, <clears throat> that's okay. You can I give understand. that back to me now. Yes, here you go. He puts it in a bin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you might want this as well. What is it? I don't know. You take it, and there's a note scrawled from the professor saying, sorry, had to leave. I assume you've taken the job. This is one of the only bits of information we have. What is it? And you look at it, and you pause, and you reach back and pull the knife from the scabbard and hold it against the piece of paper, and you see two of the same runes written upon it. Okay, we're definitely doing this job. 